Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Amen. And may God add his blessing to his word. Good morning, friends. I really do hope that today as we reflect on this passage, that we will really be captivated by the beauty of who Jesus really is as he engages so gently with this woman in this story. But let us pray and and we'll consider this passage. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for how this story was recorded down and it's been through all human history so that it might come to us and encourage us in our own faith today. Help us, Lord, to see the beauty and the awesomeness and the majesty of who Jesus is as we reflect on how he treated this woman. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you may have heard of the saying, desperate times call for desperate measures. Heard of that? And there's some truth to it, isn't there? I mean, when times are desperate, you do anything you you can to get out of that desperate situation. I remember early last year was my daughter's birthday. We thought as a family, well, let's do something special for her birthday. It was during the school holidays. And so we thought, well, let's go for a hike. So we drove down to Flinders. We thought, let's... um, Let's have a wonderful day together for, for her celebration and as a family. So we went down to this place, and, and it was a terrible day. It was wet and raining. And when we got there, the car park was full, so we had to park on the streets. And when we got to the streets, there, there wasn't too much, so, so I found a spot, went over it, and then we went into a ditch, and the car was bogged. Desperate times. What do we do? Well, as the man of the household, the driver in the seat, desperate measures. So what do we do? Well, everyone's a bit concerned. I'm almost worried this is not looking too good for my daughter's birthday, the wife, kids. What do we do? Well, I improvise. I watched enough four-wheel driving shows to know what you do when you're in a bog and you're stuck. And so we got out, we examined the car, the front wheels, they were spinning. And so we thought, well, what, what needs to happen is it needs some traction. So we looked for rocks and stones and we packed it in under the tire and said, this is going to work. So, so we tried, started off the car and it just spun the tire. The rocks flew everywhere. It didn't help. Desperate times, desperate measures, but, but I'm an engineer too. So what do we do? Well, we did the same thing and it didn't work. <laughs> and eventually we thought, oh dear, we have to call RACV. And there goes my manhood. 
But uh, in the kindness of God, a man in his four-wheel drive, he was able to pull us out. But desperate times, desperate measures, we've heard of that. But what I also think, during desperate times, and really desperate times, it actually reveals something from deep within our hearts. During those moments where we are in desperation, it reveals something about where our faith really lies. What is it that we really trust in? It brings it all to light. It exposes it in times of desperation. I mean, who do you call when your car breaks down? Well, you call your friend, your dad, your brother, your, your, your husband. Or you might call RACV. Why? Because we trust that they can help. Of course, with RSCV, you have to pay for that trust. But more seriously, where do you go to? Or what do you do when you're actually really down in life and it's difficult and you're in pain and there's suffering and you look at the world and it's just all grey and gloomy? Well, maybe you go to a friend. You open up your heart to a friend. You share your burdens so that they may help carry some of that burden. Why? Because in times of desperation, it shows where your trust is. You're trusting that your friend cares. Well, where do you go when you're sick then? Well, you go to the doctors. You, you hope and you trust that they've been trained for so many years, they can help. But then where do you go when even the doctors cannot help? You're at, the very, you're, you're the, at your wit's end. Where do you go? Where do you go to find that sense of security? Who can help? Well, you see, in times of desperations, it reveals, it exposes where our trust really lies. And you see, that's the nature of faith. The nature of faith is that we all have faith. We all express faith. It's just that it's all in different places. But in times of desperation, we really see at that moment what it is we really cling on to and who it is we really will finally turn to. And that's what we see in this story. In this story, we in fact see not just one desperate person, but two. We, we find them at the very ends of themselves. They've got nothing they can do. They can't help themselves, and they've sought for help, and no one can help. They're desperately hopeless. And so the first desperate person was Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. He comes begging Jesus, Come with me. My daughter, she's 12, she's, she's almost dead. You need to come with me. Now that story we'll focus on next week. But the second desperate person we see in verse 43. Have a look with me. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. Now you have to imagine what that would have been like for her. We just read it in one verse. But she was enduring that for 12 years. It's meant to help us sense the poignancy of her situation. How depressing, how despairing. No one could help her. I mean, I get really annoyed when I have a sore throat and it lasts beyond three days. But this was going on for 12 years. Can you imagine that? You wake up and it's there. You have breakfast and it's still there. You have lunch. In the evening you go to bed and it's still there. Days, 
turn into weeks, into months, into years, and it's still there. To live with something chronic for such a long time. And I suspect in a crowd this big, in this congregation, many of you will know what it means to live with chronic illness. In fact, in Australia, about 47% of Australians suffer from one or more chronic conditions. And so it means that that's about half this room. It means that some of us are, or we know someone who is. And so when we read this story, we're, we're meant to be able to resonate with her situation, with her pain, with her desperation. You know, we're not mere onlookers of this story. It's meant to help us feel like we're right there. And you see in the footnote, look at verse 43. Look at the footnote if you've got the NIV. Verse 43 in the footnote. She had spent all she had on doctors, and no one could heal her. It meant for her, my bank account has been emptied. My life savings all wasted. My possessions all gone. No one can help me and I've got nothing left. And so you can imagine, just for, for months and then years, she would have tried every single thing under the sun to be healed. She would have tried all sorts of alternative medicine. But for her, I've, I've come to the end of myself. I've tried everything. Nothing works. And life is helpless. We're meant to feel that weight. Life is helpless, and it was for her. In my partial care, I've often heard, or have heard often enough anyway, people express to me with a weight upon their heart and with tears in their eyes, it just feels like life is hopeless. It just feels like life is hopeless. Well, that was her. But to make matters worse, it wasn't just her physical pain and her physical condition, the chronic bleeding, the hemorrhaging, whatever it was, it would have been debilitating, never to go away. I mean, what was her life like? It would have meant that she was not able to bear children. And so what that meant then was if she was married, her husband perhaps would have left her, or she couldn't have gotten married in the first place. But you see, it wasn't just the physical condition, it was the social stigma and the public shame. She would have been kept at the fringes of society. Don't come close, don't come anywhere close to anyone. Keep your filth away. But it was also her spiritual status. You see, according to Levitical laws, she would have been considered ceremonially unclean. And because she was constantly bleeding for 12 years, she would have been perpetually unclean and so kept outside the presence of God. And so you can just feel her situation. Away from people, away from family, away from even God. No one was allowed to touch her. She was pretty much as good as dead. Life is hopeless. And so can you imagine what it would have been like for that woman? And so what did she do? Well, desperate times reveals something about her faith. What is it that she's really clinging on to? And it was, in fact, bold. Because if you put yourself in her shoes, it would have been so easy to just remain a recluse, to shy away from everyone, to descend into self-pity, to remain in the dark corner of life. But what did she do? She expressed a bold faith. It was so daring. Look at verse 44. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. And immediately 
her bleeding stopped. Instantly, instantaneously, it stopped. Now there was boldness in her faith. You see, she threw herself upon the mercy of Jesus. I've come to the end of myself. I cannot help myself. No one can help me. I've got nothing to lose. If I could just touch him, I'll be healed. I mean, what would you have done if you were in that situation? And some of us may be in such a similar situation today. What would you have done? Because you see, what do people normally do when they're desperate? And we've probably seen this, we've probably experienced this. One, people would either run away. You see, there may be hope there, but you run away. Run away into empty pleasures, trying to fill in that void, and it doesn't. Drinking, substance abuse, just to numb all the pain. Or people also run into their own pit and close themselves off from the world, and they descend into self-pity. And what an ugly thing self-pity is. They run away. Or they could run to him, like her, with hope. Maybe she's thinking there might be one person in the world who cares for me still. And there was. And so she came with Jesus with boldness. She was healed instantly. However, and this is a big however, she perhaps hoped that maybe I could come to him Touch him and then leave. Touch and go quietly, privately. No one needs to know. It's just between me and Jesus. No one needs to know at all. But Jesus wouldn't have it. Jesus will not have it. If you have faith, it cannot be hidden. If you trust in me, you have to make it public. And so Jesus, obviously aware of what was going on, look at verse 45. He asked, who touched me? And then we read, when they all denied, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. I mean, Peter was saying to Jesus, this is ridiculous, Jesus. Well, he didn't say ridiculous, but Jesus, what do you mean? There's a whole crowd around you. Someone obviously touched you. But then verse 46, Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone from me. Now, Jesus obviously knew he just healed someone. Power's gone out from him couldn't have been too difficult for him to work out who it was. And so why do you think Jesus asked that question? Who touched me? Why do you think Jesus wanted to draw out this woman into the public? Why? Well, what would have happened otherwise if Jesus allowed her to touch him and to go away quietly? What would have happened? Well, she would have gone away quietly believing that I touched the cloak of Jesus and I was healed. Somewhat semi-superstitious, somewhat semi-magical, and certainly going away not fully understanding what just took place. But you see, Jesus will not have it. Faith cannot be hidden. We cannot claim the benefits of a saviour, but remain ashamed of the saviour. We cannot claim the benefits of a saviour, but remain ashamed of of the Savior. And this was not Jesus trying to make life more difficult for her. I mean, her situation was so dire already. Was Jesus trying to make it harder for her to bring her out into the public? Well, no. It was, in fact, for her good. And she had to trust that as well. You see, if Jesus just healed me, surely he means me no harm now. I mean, 
or the many other men. They recoiled in my presence. The doctors, they only took and took. They gave nothing at all. They helped no, in no ways. Or the religious people, they, they stayed at, the, at a distance in disgust as they looked at me. But Jesus, what was he doing? He was showing I'm different to all those other men. He was showing that there is no hurt, no shame, no distance here. And so he questioned, who touched me? And then verse 47, Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. She came to Jesus with fear and trembling. It was me, Jesus. I touched you. Now, of course, at this point, she nowhere had a robust understanding of who Jesus was, why Jesus came. She, had, she did not have anywhere near a robust understanding of the gospel. She had no understanding of the cross, no understanding of atonement, of substitution, of propitiation, of the resurrection. She, she certainly had no understanding of Calvin's institutes or anything like that. But yet, she came to Jesus with a simple childlike faith. A simple childlike faith. I've got nothing. But I know I must trust him. And Jesus says, well, that's enough. And that's enough for me. And, and I think something needs to be said here about our own faith. You see, faith is not meant to be and remain a private matter. It's not something we keep at home as soon as we walk out the front door. Because if we keep it quiet, our faith in Jesus, our relationship with him, such that our family, friends, colleagues, classmates do not know, what do you think that says about how we see Jesus? I mean, imagine, and just for the sake of this illustration, imagine if I never told you of Yvonne, that she's my wife. Imagine, it's not true, it's an illustration, but, you know, come along with me. You never see me talk to her. In fact, I'm a bit too private about our relationships. I, in fact, I keep her at home. You, you never see her. No one needs to know. It's a private relationship. What do you think that says about our relationship? Well, it certainly says there's something very wrong with me. Now, of course, that's not a true illustration. She's right there, back there in that corner. But what does it mean if we say that about Jesus, if we keep our faith private, we keep him at home? What does it say about our relationship with Jesus? And even in a society today where Christians are marginalized, we're pushed to the, to the periphery of society, where Christians are called all sorts of names, you know, your bigots, fundamentalists, your phobia, this and that. And so we're too afraid, so we keep Jesus at home. No one needs to know it's private. Well, what will eventually happen? Well, what will eventually happen? One minister, he puts it this way. Eventually, the private will drive out our faith such that we have no more faith. Or our faith drives out the private so that it will become public. The private will drive out our faith or the faith will drive out the private. Which will it be? Will I be ashamed of Jesus and keep him at home? It's why, 
in our church, when anyone gets baptized or admitted into membership, it's such a good thing to hear them profess, I believe in Jesus, he's my saviour, and I want to tell the world, I've got nothing to fear. I want everyone to know what Jesus has done for me. You see, faith cannot remain hidden, and it shouldn't. Because how did Jesus respond as we follow along with this story? Well, now we need to remember still, she was an outcast, hidden from society, shunned from the public. But what did Jesus do? He brings her gently into the public to be seen in the light of day. You don't have to remain in the dark anymore. You don't have to remain hidden anymore. He gently brings her out into the public. He welcomes her. There is nothing to hide. It's amazing what Jesus did. So gentle, so gracious, so patient. And he was not too busy for her. Not too busy for her at all. Remember, he was on the the road to Jairus' home. There was another thing he had to do there. But to this woman with no name. He kept the man with the name Jairus waiting. You can wait. I'm going to focus on her at this time. And what did he say to this woman? Well, with his tender, compassionate, affectionate words. Verse 48. Daughter. We'll pause there for a moment. Daughter. It's the only place in the Gospels Jesus uses the tender address. Now, again, you just have to imagine the life of this woman, 12 years. Now she meets Jesus, she's instantly healed, and he calls her daughter. What would have been going on in her mind? I mean, she would have been thinking, no one has expressed such intimacy, such warmth, such loving care to me in a very, very long time. Her face trembling as she came into the public, but now it's changed. It's a face of joy and gladness as she heard even just that one word. Her heart probably just melted under the overwhelming love of Jesus. Verse 48, daughter, your faith has healed you, or, or more literally, your faith has saved you. You see, the, the, the word in the Greek is the word salvation. She was just hoping to be healed. But she got far, far more than she bargained for. Not just physical healing, but spiritual salvation. And so do you see what she would have missed if Jesus allowed her just to touch and go quietly? She would have missed everything. I mean, if she just went not knowing that, she would have missed out on what Jesus really offered. Not just life in this world, but life in the next. Not just a new lease on life, but life with God. And it wasn't your finger that touched my cloak. It was your faith that touched me. And so verse 48, Daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Or it's in fact literally go into peace. It's exactly the same words Jesus said to the prostitute who washed his feet. Go into peace. Not in peace. In peace is what you say to the dead. But go into peace, that is, go into a newness of life, a new life with me, with my Father in heaven, into a life you have never known until today. And what a day it would have been for her. Her life completely turned around. This morning, 
I was despised. I was rejected. I was shamed and I was ashamed. But now I've become one of his. I've been accepted. This morning I was isolated. I was hidden away. But now the world knows my faith. I've got nothing to hide. This morning I was sick. But now I'm not just healed, I'm saved. And that day she left there at the feet of Jesus. Her shame, her suffering, her pain, her rejection, and she walked away a new woman. In fact, she walked away a daughter of God's. You see, she came to Jesus for the world. She wanted the world. You know, it meant the world to her just to be healed. But what did Jesus give her? Jesus gave her the universe. You have it all. A faith that's bold. It's a faith that cannot remain hidden. And it's also a faith that saves. It's a beautiful story, isn't it? Beautiful story. But what do you think this story does? Well, what this story does is that it calls into question our own faith. In times of desperation, who is it that you'll really cling to? Where is it that you'll really go? It calls into question our own faith. Who is it that we will finally turn to? And so I think this story has a lot to teach each one of us. When we come to the end of ourselves, when we're desperate, despairing, depressed, what do we see? What do we do? Well, I suspect there may be some of us who will still prefer to remain at a distance, to watch and to listen about Jesus from a distance. We may even critique him from a distance. We'll listen to him, but he'll stay far. I don't want to come too close. That's just becoming too religious. I can sort it out myself. So we keep Jesus at, a, at arm's length. Or there may be some of us who would think, well, there is no way at all Jesus will want to have anything to do with me. Because if you've seen my life, who would want anything to do with me? I'm damaged. I'm messed up. I'm broken, I'm filthy, I cannot come close to him. But imagine if the woman that day thought that way, fearful of coming close, afraid of being noticed, and so she just remained at a distance. The crowd was all there, but she remained at the edge. If she did that, what would have happened? Well, there was, would have been none of this. But I wonder whether some of us have been doing that with Jesus for years. Those we know and love have been doing that with Jesus for years, kept him at a distance. You see, if she remained at a distance and did not come close, did not reach out in faith, she would have missed out on the universe. And she would have returned that day, returned home, a sorry, desperate, despairing mess where life was still hopeless. Just the other week, in fact, I met a guy who was a heroin addict for many years, went to prison. I mean, someone in such a mess, and they think about Jesus. How will Jesus accept me? What would Jesus want to do with me? But he came to Jesus. In fact, Jesus came to him. So encouraging to hear his testimony. So messed up, but not too messed up for Jesus. Not too broken for Jesus. And perhaps for some of you today, 
maybe today is that day where you come close and touch with the finger of faith. Not stay far, but to come close, to reach out in faith. Jesus, I'm desperate, I'm broken, I'm messed up. But you may or may not heal me of my physical ailments. That may or may not happen, but I know and trust you will deal with my soul. You will heal my soul. You will restore me, renew me, and give me a new lease on life with you. And to hear his word, daughter, son, your faith has saved you. Go into peace. You see, for some of you, today might be that day to reach out in faith. And let me encourage you, if that is you, and if you want that to be you, do speak to someone. Faith cannot remain silent or speak to me. And we have to remember who it is we're coming to when we reach out in faith. When we extend the finger, not to touch the cloak, but to touch the Lord. We have to remember who it is that we're reaching out to. How beautiful, how tender, how sweet Jesus is. He's never too busy for us. So many of us, too busy. Crazy busy. Too busy for people. Jesus, never too busy for us. Never will he push us away. In fact, do you notice what happened when the woman touched him? It's an interesting phrase. He noticed power went out from him. And what did that mean? It's strange. I know many of the growth groups were having a lot of discussion about this and trying to work, well, what did that mean? I mean, did it mean that Jesus was a bit like a battery? You know, he's 100% that day until the woman touched him. And then his power dropped down to 80%. And so he needed to be recharged somehow. You know, even Superman had to go to the sun to be recharged. So was that what was required of Jesus? What did it mean for power to come out of Jesus? When I was a younger Christian, I read that, and I was a little bit troubled by this verse because it sounds so weird, didn't it? Me, Jesus lost some power. But why is it that when you... You read the other stories of his miracles. Nothing of the sort we see. He calmed the storm. He rebuked it with his words. He, he fought the, the army of demons, the legion of demons, without breaking a sweat. He even raised the dead with just his voice. But yet he, some power came out of him. Now, of course, this was not a situation where Jesus became less divine. It can't be that. Nor was he becoming more human. He can't be that as well. He was fully man, fully God. Nor was this saying that Jesus somehow became deficient, lost some power, that battery I did, not at all. But I do wonder whether this was a hint of what was to come to Jesus in order for others to be healed and restored and saved. In order for his power to go out so that there might be healing and forgiveness of sins and the salvation of souls, he had to somehow become weak. And I wonder whether this incident was pointing forward to what we see in the cross. When he emptied himself, made himself nothing, when his blood was poured out, when his life was snuffed out, when he was crucified in weakness, by his wounds we are healed, so that Power could be poured out on a desperate 
despairing, hurting world. You see, this woman did not know any of that. But that was exactly what was required for her to be called daughter, for her to have her faith to save her, for her to go into peace. You see, if that is true of us, that Jesus had to empty himself so that we might be saved, so that we might be forgiven, if that is true for us and we've reached out in faith, we've received the power, then how can our faith remain hidden, private? I want to shout it out to the world. You see, either the private will drive out our faith or our faith will drive out the private. I'll end with this story. Hudson Taylor, you know, of that wonderful missionary to China, he was so bold and public about his faith. We know him to be the one who went to China, and he went at, at 21 years of age, only 21. Makes us think, doesn't it? You know, what, what, what was I doing at 21? He was the founder of the China Inland Mission, spent 51 years there, learned the language, translated the Bible, brought hundreds of missionaries into China, established many schools there. But yet for him, it wasn't smooth sailing. He experienced many times of desperation. In fact, we may not even be aware, he had bouts of depression himself. In, the nine, in, in 1900, he had a completely physical and mental breakdown. His, the personal cost to him and his family was huge. His wife, Maria, died at 33 years old. He had eight children, but four of them died before they reached 10. That's desperation. What do you do? Well, you see, when we are desperate, it reveals where our heart really lies. What it is we really cling on to. Who it is we'll finally turn to. And so for Hudson Taylor, this was what he said. He said, When you feel that you can do nothing and are nothing, rest in this, that he will never let you go. It is not my, by, not my frail hold of him that matters. It is his strong grasp of me. You see, what was comforting for that woman that day was not so much that she had faith that saved her, that she went out to reach for Jesus. But in fact, what was happening was that the strong grasp of Jesus was holding onto her. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for how we see who Jesus is, so tender, so gentle, that he would even accept childlike faith and say, that is enough for me. And so we pray, Lord, for those amongst us who have yet to reach out, that you will work in their hearts to reach out in faith. And we do thank you, Lord, that it's not our faith, our frail hold of Jesus that matters, but it is his strong grip of us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.